everyone. Gee, it's great to be back. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 1 of the Right Words Podcast. I'm Hayley Walsh, your host, author of Lighthearted Fiction, and I'm coming to you from Darug Country in far western Sydney at the base of the beautiful Blue Mountains. Now, for all our overseas listeners, both myself and all my Aussie guests joining me this season will be acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we work and live. I sincerely hope you all had a very Merry Christmas and a safe and happy new year. Now, let's face it, 2021 was a bit of a shit show, so let's keep our fingers crossed that 2022 is that little bit better. Well actually let's hope it's a lot better. Now my first interview this season is an interview with the lovely Vason Taylor. Vason describes herself as an author, a scriptwriter, a playwright and an occasional poet. We had a lovely chat and we had lots of fun. So without further ado, let's go to my interview with Vason. Welcome to the podcast. It is lovely to finally have you on. We've been going back and forth for a little while, so we've finally got a date that suits us both, and I'm thrilled to have you here. Oh, thank you so much, Haley. It's really um, a pleasure to be here. Fantastic. Now, I am um, coming from um, Darag country in uh, Western Sydney, far Western Sydney at the base of the Blue Mountains. So can you tell our listeners where you are today? Where are you coming from? Yes, uh, so I'm located on the Gold Coast and um, we say um, the country is Yugambar language people um, that are the traditional um, custodians of the land here. Um, because land's not ceded, it's always and ever will be um, Aboriginal land. Beautiful. So up on sunny, um, up in sunny Queensland on the beautiful Gold Coast. Now I'm actually hoping to get to um, Queensland in March, fingers crossed, um, but with the way things are with COVID, not sure how that's going to go. So I do have friends up in Queensland and I'm hoping to make it up there in March. So I don't like my chances, but (laughs) we'll see how we go. You never know, you might get here. Absolutely. Now I'm going to start by asking you to tell our listeners who are you? Who is Vason Taylor? If I was to ask you that, what would you say? Um, I probably would say um, in, the, in the community, I would say I'm a social welfare advocate. I've studied quite extensively in the area of uh, social welfare and social work. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we were to talk outside writing, that's where I'd be placed. Um, I work really closely with young people um, in my job. In the writing world, um, I really would like to think that I am um, a middle grade author um, that does do other um, writing in the adult space that's mainly short stories and um, plays and screenplays. Um, So... Yeah, I kind of mix the two, but one, I try and keep um, my middle grade work in um, fantasy mm-hmm. uh, in that realm. And the other work is usually short stories for adults and um, the adult plays, adult screenplays. So, I wow, you're a very busy woman. I don't know how you fit it all in. That's amazing. Yeah, it's good fun, though, isn't it? It's great. Yeah. Yeah, you sound like me because, you know, I work full time as a nurse um, 
you know, and I've got a partner with two stepkids and he works shift work and, I, you know, I run the podcast and I write my own books. So, yeah, very, very similar. And we're both in a caring role as well, you know, so I think we've got a lot in common. Yeah, definitely. Um, I love the work I do with young people and, um, yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm an empath, so I, I really am quite empathic. Um, and sometimes that comes through in my writing with young people, I, I find too, when I write for middle grade, there's little traits of that that um you know the behavior that I have when I work with young people and I spread that through um the fantasy as well yeah beautiful so we'll talk a little bit more about what you do for your job and your writing um but I sent you some pre-interview questions to answer mm -hmm. and something I found interesting was you said if there was a check sheet for a good life lived I believe that I might be able to tick some of the boxes. Can you tell me why you said that? I, that really resonated with me. I thought that was lovely. Yeah, um, I guess from my perspective, when I look at life, um, I've had quite a, a, a broad sense of, um, of knowing who I am. Uh, and it didn't happen easy. Um, I had... A very trauma, a, a very big trauma when I was a young child, um, and that trauma then took me into a space um, as a young teenager, um, and I developed mental illness. Okay. Uh, so, and and I, I guess it's not a ticking a box, but it's it's certainly understanding life and how we live it, and the journey and resilience and moving through the space of not everyone. Um, you know, has a perfect life. I don't think anyone has a perfect life. We all have things that we move through. Um, and, and that's part of it. Um, so I've experienced that I've moved through that. Um, and I, I'm very much uh, a mental health advocate. Um, I manage my mental health. Um, Wonderful. Yeah, which is really important. Um, so I moved through that space. I also had a very wonderful childhood with my parents. Um, and um, I, I feel like I, I had a perfect childhood. I, I had a lot, I, we had a property and I rode horses and I did all of those things. Um, it was perfect in, in that sense. Um, but then you have things that happen. And, and as a child, you can't always be in control of that um and things happen to you and you 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 move through them um yeah, I guess, yeah absolutely I guess the next part is I had I was diagnosed with breast cancer so I've moved through that as well so I've journeyed through that and I've had radiation and and surgery and and that sort of thing so I've moved through that I've had three beautiful children who all identify as aboriginal okay. um, and um, I, although I'm separated from my husband, um, he's very much a wonderful person. And we um, had an amazing 30 years together. Um, and it, we, we, we raised three really beautiful children who are amazing young people who are very all very successful. Um, I've travelled. So I've been overseas. I've been to Vietnam and Hong Kong and Japan and Singapore. And so I've travelled. Um, and I feel like at this point in time in my life, I've, I've written, written books. I've, I've had lots of successes in, in different in spaces. Um, I, I work really actively in my job and I really love it. So I think I've ticked some boxes. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And what, you know, a, a great um, amount of stuff you've got to draw on, you know, with your writing, which, yeah. which is amazing. Yeah. So I guess moving on to your writing, how long have you been writing? Um, about 14 years now, it would be. Um, I don't class myself as a, um, uh, a writer that pumps out books. I do it really slowly. Um, mm -hmm. And I write poetry as well. Um, so I try and do things that um, I really enjoy when I write them. And I think for me, that's the more, the more important thing is that I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. And um, for me, that means um, writing and researching and world building yep. and enjoying what I do. Um, and so I've my fifth book comes out next this next year. Sorry, in um, after injured in March. Okay. So I feel like um, yeah, I feel like I've I've achieved a lot in that sense that I um, it might be fourteen years, um, but but I've got five books, countless poetry um, publications. I've had um, lots of short stories published. Um, uh, I've been in an anthology. Um, I've had a, a play reading um, that was done in in Hodder, so in the theatre, worked mm -hmm. with actors and directors. Um, and I've had some pretty pretty significant awards done with some of my screenplays as well. So, well, that's I, an, an amazing list of achievements, and you should be really proud of yourself. That's wonderful. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's been a fourteen year journey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, but, some, but some things shouldn't be rushed, you know. So it takes me it takes me a good twelve months to um, complete a first draft of a book. So yeah, I, I get that. I take my time as well, definitely. I've got quite a few books coming as well that are in good in good spaces, ready to come. But you know, I don't hurry it. I try and just take my time, and um, when they're ready, they'll be ready. Yeah, absolutely. Don't put too much pressure on yourself. I think that's really important. Yeah. Yeah, now, Vason, going back to um, your childhood and, you know, the things in your life that shape you during your childhood, your favourite book as a child or favourite books, um, what were they and why did they appeal to you, do you think, when you were a child? Mm. Um, look, I've always said that it's, it's been Edith Blyden, um, Famous Five, um, The Secret Seven, um, they were the books that were around at that time. Nancy Drew was a big one that I read a lot, um, that series. Um, as I got a little bit older, I went into Doctor Who, which I really enjoyed reading. So, wow. Yeah, Doctor okay. A big, a big thing back in that, that time. And we, you'd watch it every, every afternoon when it came on on the television. So it was really, you know, it, it was really one of those, um, one of those genres that I really got stuck on. And I, I ended up getting all the Doctor Who series books. Um, and I had them up to quite some time ago until my mother says, oh, I've just given all your Doctor Who books away. Oh, and who did she give them to? Um, I, a friend of the family's whose young young person was reading and he'd, he'd said, oh, I'd really love to have those books. And she says, oh, no, I've got heaps of them. <laughs> she gave them away. Not that I mind because it goes to somebody who's reading and I think it's really great that it, she passed it on anyway. Yeah, because I have to ask you, your Enid Blyton and um, Nancy Drew books, did you pass them on to your own children? Did they, did they read them as children? 
No, they actually got passed on um, to friends when I was um, younger. And um, I was I was never one that used to keep a lot of books as a young person. I would pass them on, um, give them to friends that were reading. And sometimes I didn't give them away necessarily. I always thought they might be returned. <laughs> But that doesn't always happen. So, um, so I gave a lot of my books away to my friends that were reading at the time. Okay, okay. So, like a boomerang, they didn't always come back. Nah. nah. <laughs> so, I wanted to ask you a bit more about um, your day job. So, you work as a caseworker, supporting um, obviously people facing very challenging situations every day. So, what inspiration do you draw from your job? for your writing so because I'm an aged care clinical nurse consultant so as you can imagine I hear some amazing stories mm. yeah and my book coming out in March not dead yet was inspired um, by a patient's story so I'd love to hear some of your stories that were inspired by your work or how your work inspires you with, with your stories yeah um, look with the young people that I work with um, a lot of it is in juvenile justice so they're um, obviously um, some are, are homeless some are moving through lots of ex lots of extreme trauma lots of that sort of um, um, really really difficult times in their life um, and look I hear some amazing stories much like you really amazing stories from young people um, about survival mm -hmm. um, or resilience um, and their adventures um, believe it or not um, a lot of these young people are very very street smart and they have some really interesting ways of looking at the world um, and I'll often put that resilience the way they look in it into the adventure stories that I have with the fantasy series so how they look at the world and um, how their adventure might um, translate to a fantasy driven space oh interesting um, okay and it, it's really interesting so you can um, you can actually transfer it like in in a couple of my books um, where they have to um, they have to figure out a plan or they have to um, work out how they're going to get out of the predicament they're in. Um, you hear some of the stories from my young people and and I transfer that not in exactly the same way, but I transfer it across to um, a roundabout way of how they might deal with it because it's real life. And yeah. that's what that's what resonates with people with the real life stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I think people, anyone who's picking up a book to read, no matter what genre it is, they want to relate to it on some level, don't they? Yeah, definitely, hundred percent. Yeah, and I think that's really important. And you were you were telling me about a um a play that was inspired by your work. Um, yeah. I don't think you told me what it was called, but the description um, reads, Emma and Jacob, a married couple who are unwilling to deal with the issues of their unhappiness, are confronted by Veritas, a sinister form conjured out of a painting. And I thought, oh, this sounds interesting. Yeah. Now, Veritas takes them on a journey to see life through the eyes of other couples to confront them with the truth. Yeah. So that is intriguing. So can you tell me a little bit more about the play? Yeah, that's very much taken, driven from a translation of, of the work that I do um, in my real job. And it's called, it was called Crazy Plastic Love. And it was about a young couple who was struggling with where their relationship is at this current time and how they had started to um, begin to withdraw from each other. 
um, and um, uh, she buys a painting and she hangs it on the wall and um, he comes home and he's not quite sure about the painting. There's something about it that just isn't right. It doesn't sit with him. Um, and as they move through um, that night, um, Veritas arrives and and takes and says, look, I'm going to take you on a journey and you're going to see what's happening and it was just in conversation and he then takes them through um, uh, a few different people's lives they actually fall into that person's life and then they have to work it out from there um, and it's a very different life they're very affluent they have everything they want and she could buy this amazing painting with lots of the money that they have and then suddenly they're in a relationship where um, they have a mental illness and um, they've got a, the couple have to work through that mental illness. And, um, the, or, okay. and another one is when they're placed, um, a young person is in, uh, one of the people is in a, um, uh, a, a mental facility and he talks about what's gone on in his life um, and he sees a strange dog and he's seeing things and and then um, in that in that realization we um, explore death and dying and how that translates I hear a lot about um, loved ones that have passed with my young people um, okay then he explores that area and the person that he's talking to is actually someone who's passed um, and he believes she's alive so it's just really interesting. And then they come back and then he realises that the attachment to the, to the person that he loves was so strong that he willed her spirit to stay with, with him in that cup as he worked through that couple's um, story. So they actually just, Veritas lifted them up and placed them in three different stories and they had to navigate their way. And when they come back, they're completely changed because they've seen um, a different perspective in life. And I think sometimes in real life, that's really important that we can look at um, other people's life through a different perspective so that yeah. we can understand it. Yeah. Fascinating. And can I, can I ask, um, what, what feedback did you get or, or, you know, reviews from people that saw the play? Did you read any feedback? I'd be yeah, interested to I hear what people thought. Yeah, it was really, really interesting because when we started um, with the project activities, you're, when you work with a producer and some actors, you have what's first given to you is um, a, a, it's called a project activity milestone sheet and you work through it and you have an appointment of a playwright, you have your play your playwright then provides a casting call, which I had to do all myself. I had to call for the cast, I had to advertise for the cast. Um, I had to, I had, I actually had an, a director appointed to it. Um, then I had to have a meeting with the director. Um, then we had to um, go through our due diligence documents and that was our casting applicants and their character brief. Then we had to have auditions, um, discussions with the actors. We started to pull the play apart. And what was a really beautiful part of that was when the actors got to, we did sit down and did a reading, um, they got to add some feedback just from that perspective as well. So we changed some lines and we worked in, you know, different things, which I think is a very organic and holistic approach when you do plays. Um, 
And so we changed a few things, we moved things around. And as a writer, you have to be really willing to do that. It's really important that you listen to feedback. These are the actors that are going to bring this to life. Um, so we did that. Um, then we do, 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 do the due diligence um, documents. Um, and then we have our rehearsals. We go into rehearsals and then we have our presentation. After that, while I was doing that, I had to design a feedback form for the audience. Um, and so I designed a feedback form that, uh, and I asked questions about what they liked about it, what they didn't like about it, what could be changed, what could be improved. Um, and it was really interesting, the feedback from audience, because a lot of them said, oh my gosh, I could relate to that middle scene so much. And the first couple that they went into, that was kind of like my life. Yeah, and wow. The last couple said, oh my God, I've seen ghosts in my house house and it, it feels like my loved ones are still here with me and it just you know it was so interesting um and so I, I got lots of really good feedback um couple of the other feedback that you look for that you can because it's great getting all the positive stuff but you also need to improve the play and you mm. need to do that sort of thing so a couple of the things was um that one one person would really have liked to have explored the addiction side of it a little bit more um, they wanted to understand the addiction side where that came from how it got there um, you know and and how I I kind of perceived that um, another one was with the um, with the couple that had the were in the ghost with the ghost um, they wanted to know who the ghost was they wanted to know more about the ghost so it was like pulling it out more giving it more wholesomeness in the story which yeah. I so sort of giving it more a bit more depth I suppose yeah. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. So which was really good. Um, and how you do that constructively then in a three part um, play is that you have to start to think about how you're going to rework that really well and make that happen. Look, that just that sounds like a monumental amount of work. What, what a great achievement. That's and, and what a big learning curve as well. The learning was the best part. Uh, just working with the director who um, she was um, absolutely amazing um, I couldn't have asked for a more passionate more beautiful um, director she was and and well skilled in the um, the art of, of doing plays so and very great uh, watching her work with the actors to pull more from their performance was really awesome too just getting to see how she motivates how she changed it was quite challenging for the actors because they had to change their voices because okay. there were three, three separate scenes um, and somebody had to be veritas, which was very a very different type of, of, of creature who came out and, um, you know, would, would, would um, challenge them through these three phases that they moved through. Um, and then you had two actors who had to be three different people. So a husband and wife, a brother and a sister you know they had to be three different people on in in that one so they're actually doing you know six different people um three for the male and three for the female so they had to be really pull out their acting skills which was really yeah powerful. it would have been a good challenge for them I guess as actors and yeah they obviously sound very talented which is great yeah, they loved it. They they loved the fact that they had to really push the limits of their of their talent.
So if you're yeah, because I have to ask you because um, you've written short films, plays, and books. Mm-hmm. What sort of came first for you? Like, what have you been writing the longest? What did you start with? Oh, it was definitely, yeah, definitely books first. Yeah, that was the first thing that I ever started writing. Um, my first actual book that was a draft, um, I still got it. It never it never ended up being published. Um, that doesn't mean that I won't go back to it at some point. Um, but then I just went on to the next next one um, and the next one and um, and then eventually on the third one I got the the series published and I just continued to work through that but I find short stories are really really great for honing um, your skill that they're they're a beast in their own where you have to really make it work well in a short compact um, form and I yes. think really good skill building when you yeah. do and I admire people who can do that well because I struggle with short stories, you know, to to get it all wrapped up in such a short, yeah. um, you know, amount of words. I really, really struggle. So I admire people who, who can write short stories. Yeah. It's not easy. No, I think limiting your character is one of the first things that I was taught um, was limiting that, um, you know, the amount of characters that you have. So keep it one to three, no more. So that was a really good tip that I got from a really good short story writer. Yeah, fantastic. Now, just we're going to deviate from the writing just for a minute. So you also enjoy photography and I you, you paint as well. Is that correct? Yeah, I do. I do do bits and pieces of painting. Um, I haven't painted for quite a little while because I just haven't had the time. But I hope at some point that I would be able to go back and um, actually explore that a little bit deeper because I've I've painted all my life. Not I'm not, you know, I'm not. Um, a a fabulous artist I know a lot of friends I've got a lot of friends who are fabulous artists Sebastian Toast is one of my great friends and she's an amazing artist yeah but I really love it and I really enjoy it and I like being and I'm a messy painter so I really like to get with the paint and you know splash it around and have fun with it and um, (laughs) so yeah I really enjoy and it takes my mind off of all of the other things that I have to do which it's probably the only creative stream where my mind actually stops thinking. Yeah. So it's a nice distraction from everything that's going around in your head at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And what about your photography? Have you ever photographed a place that's inspired one of your stories or you've grown, you know, got some great inspiration from that place that you visited? No, that's not something that's ever happened to me. Um but I love, I went to um, Vietnam. I've, I've done some beautiful shots um, in Vietnam. When I was in Borneo also, um, I've done some wonderful shots of um, animals, which I really enjoy doing that photography. Um, so, but nothing that's ever sparked a story, not yet. However, I did go, I did go on a trip not long ago. Um, I hike a bit and I went to Carnarvon Gorge and on the way back we went through a lot of country towns and I kept stopping and taking pictures of really old um, abandoned houses Um, and I have a story at the moment that I have been writing for a couple of years and it's almost there and it's a ghost story and it's around this old house so I feel Mm, sounds good 
Yeah, so that's kind of, um, yeah, I don't know why I keep going to these old abandoned houses, but I just, it's just, I find them really intriguing. Yeah, I I think they are intriguing because you think they hold so many stories, don't they? There's so much history there or they hold some secrets. What are the deep, dark secrets that are in the walls? You know, so I think that's what what appeals to people about those types of stories is the mystery around, you know, what what secrets does this house hold? Who lived here and what happened? You know, those sorts of things. If walls could talk. Oh, absolutely. Could you imagine the things that you would hear? It'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? (laughs) Absolutely. And I wanted to talk to you about your two short films that you were involved in. Mm -hmm. So I'm just, yeah, I'm just in awe of how much, you know, writing that you do. I think it's fantastic. So I wanted to look at um, the one called Grandfathers. So you actually received a commendation for this one. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's not a short film. That's um, that's a feature film. That one. Oh, sorry. Okay. That's okay. Um, it's a comedy, so it's a it's a feature film, and it's about um, five grandfathers that are in an aged care home, and um, they're a bit sick and tired of being there, and um, you know that how that you get kind of a little bit dismissed in in the community sometimes. Um, and they are really cheeky and they escape from the aged care and they have a, a one of them who has a, a son who lives around the corner with a combi and they hijack the combi. And you've got three completely different grandfathers. You have um, one who has had a chain of, of restaurants and, um, you know, has, has a little bit of cash. And you've <laughs> got an, another fella who has lost a limb through diabetes and, um, and, but has a bit of a t- beer belly and, and, and likes the odd, um, the odd um, uh, smoke of marijuana. And you have... Um, I love it. <laughs> Yeah, we have, um, you know, the straight laced, um, we got to do this right, grandfather, and you have the very, very entertaining um, grandfather who has been a, um, he says he's been in um, the Secret Service and has, um, you know, one minute he's a, he's been in the Secret Service, then he's been a black ops, and then he's been this, um, and he was a dentist. Um, so, you know, he's, he's quite cheeky. He will, or he orders everything that he needs, um, including explosives, explosives for the journey. Um, and he's, he's right, ready to go, um, sneaks off and starts the car without the keys. He knows how to hotwire a car and they all get quite surprised. And there might be a little bit of truth to some of these stories that he, he's been telling. So, and then they're off on their journey. Little do they know they come across two lovely teenagers who, or three, sorry, three teenagers who um, are in a bit of a pickle. And um, they sneak in. They well, one actually gets a teddy bear out of a, um, a out of a dumpster. Dumpster. He's a, a young Down syndrome boy, and he gets a teddy bear in the dumpster. He finds it in the dumpster, and of course, the teddy bears is loaded with some um, blood diamonds. So, and then they end up in the combi with the young. They sneak into the combi, and um, of course, then we have the baddies chasing them. So. Oh, look, it just sounds fantastic. It sounds right up my alley because, you know, I work in aged care, so I hear some hilarious stories. Yeah. And, I, yeah, and look, and, and I write humour myself and I, I just read the description. I thought this just sounds hilarious. Um, You know, just I just love a good story about older people still living life, you know, yeah. they're, they're not dead yet. They've still got life to live. Yeah. And you're so right. You know, sometimes they feel invisible in society. They feel dismissed. Yeah. And I just think that sounds wonderful. And I thought, goodness me, if this was a book, I'd be buying it today yeah. 
to yeah. read this story. So it yeah. was fantastic. And what feedback did you get um, about yeah, the film? Because it sounds really, hilarious. Yeah, really good feedback. So um, I received um, what they wanted me to do was once again fill out some, some fill out, give it a bit more depth. So give the characters a little bit more depth in the story. So I've been slowly working through that, expanding the depth of each of the characters including the teenagers, giving the teenagers a little bit more depth. Um, and um, there is a, an FBI agent from America that hits in, comes into it as well, because it's all quite, it's all, these diamonds are come from, you know, places that they're after this, this, um, this um, person who is very good at trafficking blood diamonds. So, um, so I've just got to give them more depth. So I've got to start to pull all that and, and give them a little bit more depth. And then I'll submit it um, to one of the Australian film festivals in the coming year. So. Oh, fantastic. I would love to watch that. I just And what inspired it? What inspired that story? Because it just sounds so funny. It's right up my alley. I yeah. love it. Look, I had a beautiful grandfather, um, an actual precious man um and uh, I had a wonderful father too and both were they love the outback so this story is set in they, they travel from Adelaide up to um they go through um Uluru um and up to um uh, uh oh my gosh I can't think of the town but they go up through the central uh, central Australia um and um it was just the love of the outback and some of the things that can happen in the outback, which is really interesting. There's this, they arrive at this hotel. That's um, it's, it's quite scary. It's like the Bates hotel, um, but it's run <laughs> by, it's run by um, a, an older man and an older woman who are quite scary <laughs> and, um, and they have a world of fun at that hotel with five, these five grandfathers <laughs> that come through so um and these two love and three lovely teenagers that they're trying to protect of course and you know how you get that relationship between older people and young teenagers how it's just so cohesive yes they just, they yeah absolutely um they just get each other and I wanted to explore that um more than anything because I think um they just get each other and they just do. Um, and I, I love that. And that's another aspect that they wanted me to draw out a bit more because they love that that whole teenager and your your older um, your older person who who's just moving through that space and how um, they just get each other and they understand. And there's no, you can't do that this way. It's always, yeah, let's give it a go, you know. So <laughs> let's jump it. right in. Yeah, yeah. And there's kangaroos and there's dingoes and there's, you know, fire in the outback with some mar toasting marshmallows and, you know, marshmallow goes rogue and ends up on the face of the baddie and, you know, stuff like that that happens that's just hilarious. So Yeah, it just sounds like a wonderful Australian story full of humour, which is just yeah. fabulous. It just sounds wonderful. Yeah, it's a great. It was great writing it. And the other the other film that you would um, that you talked about when I sent you some questions, you said it was a pilot um, sci-fi thriller. So what's what's that one about? Yeah, that one's catch. So that explores once again a lot of the work I do explores um, 
things that I find really interesting um, and the way that concept came up, I went to a seminar um, when I was doing my bachelor and it, they were looking at, um, I've been interested in working with Vietnam, uh, with veterans um, and how they move through that space when they lose limbs and what that does and the trauma that's involved coming from a war zone. Um, and what it's about is it's about a futuristic, um, not that I didn't want to put it too far into the future because I didn't feel like that would be, uh, that would work. So it's in the not so distant future. Drones are a big thing. Um, and we have a, a, a um, the uh, protagonist who is she's pretty much and I don't want to use the word cyborg because she's not um, she's a human that has been altered in such a way um, that she has um, what we call transhuman um, attachments and, we, and transhumanism is going to be a massive thing in the future so when you lose a limb as you know now you're starting to get really interesting and and very active um, prothesis that mm. are, are attached to the brain um, with chips so that fingers move and toes move and and it's getting quite involved so if we move forward 10 20 years we're going to have a space where these um, prothesis are going to be um, enhancements so you'll be able to and and i'm not saying it could be even further than that but in the pilot you're able to say you have um you know you you have a bad leg and you want you know, you want to get a prosthesis. So you want to become transhuman and you'll have a whole leg replaced and wow. that will make you stronger um, and it will make you faster. Um, and what happens in the story is Sybil, who is the protagonist in this, um, she is employed by the company who is the big multinational that is developing these transhuman prostheses. And you are able to get add-ons. Um, you say you want your eye enhanced, you'll get eye enhancements, you'll get legs enhancements. However, there's always a however. Um, one of the things that can happen is, is called a syllable of errors, and that's my creation. And so when you get a syllable of errors, it means that the enhancements can somehow impact your brain. And they, they be, people begin to create um, a problem with crime. So they, start oh. to, yeah, they might start to murder somebody like their next door neighbor for no reason at all, or they might, you know, dislike somebody. And so I've, I've it, it comes and she has to go out and she has to um, find these people who are doing the crimes before the company is res found responsible. Wow, well, that sounds fascinating. Well, while they're trying to figure all that out, um, why it's happening, she's and she actually eliminates the transhuman. So, in in actual fact, she's she's hurting people, she's killing people, but that's for the company. Um, and then that this is where the switch happens: is there's a, a um, antagonist that comes in. Um, um, and he's the police officer who wants to try and rectify. He thinks something's going on and he's trying to figure it out. But Sybil doesn't mean to do the things she does. 
but that's part of who she is as a creation of the company. So, and as you see, she starts to get syllables of errors herself. So, and she starts to question what she's doing and why she's doing it. Um, but it's really interesting that researching the transhumanism side of it was amazing. It just opens your mind to how transhumanism is, is really vastly improving and how it's working. So, yeah, it really makes you think, doesn't it, where, you know, where technology is going to be and what impact it's going to have on humankind in the future. Mm -hmm. And stories like that that you're writing just make people think, wow, you know, what, where are we going to be and is it going to be a good thing or a bad thing? It really makes you think, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's it's quite it's each series like I've got I've been writing there's a twelve it's there's twelve um, episodes in it and I've been moving along writing each of those episodes and each episode um, it sits around a different subject so the first one is about a, a, a serial killer so that's how it starts and she has to find who is killing all these people and how it's how it's happened inside the screenplay itself there is a, a code that I've done through binary, the binary code. Um, so it's quite, and it's just worked with numbers in, in the actual film itself. So, um, and it's to try and, and, and it introduces the name of the next um, transhuman who enters the second season. So it, it, it's really an, it's a story that has really um, taken a lot of work um, I had to look at how to do a binary code in through this, this film itself. I had to look at transhumanism, how that might look, what that landscape might look like, the future, what, what um, our, play, our world will look like in the future. It's more drones. There's lots of drones. Drones fly around the streets and ask if you need a taxi. They'll ask if you need this, if you need that. Um, so it, it really was, it, once again, it's like world building. Your world, you're actually building a whole world of what it might look like in the future. Um, yeah, because I wanted to ask you about world building because um, you are the first person I've actually had on the podcast who writes fantasy. So I've been, I'm so excited to finally talk to someone who writes fantasy. Mm -hmm. And I'm just, I'm fascinated by the, you know, the imagination involved in world building. So when you write a sci-fi story, do you start with the world or do you start with the characters? Like what, what's the process? Yeah, it's really interesting that, isn't it? Um, I start with the world. So that's for me, I have an idea of the characters and I have an idea of the story, but I design the world first. So it's getting a bit of an understanding of the landscape of the world, what that might look like in the Star Child series. It has, we've got seven different, different nations um, and where they all sit in the world itself and what their cities might look like. Um, uh, for instance, the Soul Bankers nation is forest and it's all about um, how they harvest souls and replace souls into bodies. And that's, that's their world. So I had to design all their um, nation. So it was all around it, how they, where they lived. It was rained a lot um, for the ice, um, for the ice lands. Um, that was a whole different landscape. So you had to, it, it was cold and you had to look at how their clothing, um, what they wore, how that, what things they would eat. Um, it's really a big process. Um, with the thought bankers, they were desert people. So they lived mm. underground. 
um, and they kept very much to themselves because they they are about mastering the art of thought and so they can read minds they can add in thoughts they can take away thoughts of a human um uh, sorry of a thought banker um, and other nations peoples so they can they're really interesting people but they they are all about um studying the stars and learning um mainly about how they can build their master of their their skills in thought banking so yeah, and then we've got fire rulers and they're in canyon lands. It's hot, um, you know, they've got this canyon land, but they've all got, that's got slavery in the story. Um, the ice ruler, the, the ice lands that we have in that, um, they have, um, they've got a healing stone that is that they've got to go to um, in the forest lands of they've got to protect the souls so they all have it's quite intricate when you build a world and it and yeah I always start with the world so that's yeah. just I can only imagine like you know I, I don't write fantasy you know so I write stories that are in the world that we live in you know so I just find the process uh, fascinating like just just the amount of imagination involved is just yeah mm -hmm. Amazing. Right. I, I definitely don't think I could do something like that. I think that's really, really talented, actually. Yeah, to be honest with you. And what inspired your love of sci-fi? Like, do you think it was, you know, going back to reading those Doctor Who books or yeah. what inspired your love of sci-fi to begin with? I think I've always been interested in sci-fi. I think I've always been interested in um, fantasy as well. I, I you know, like... Um, understanding how things are going to look in the future interests me um, and escapism interests me as well so building building um, a world is an amazing opportunity you get to start from from nothing and build your own entire world with your own entire inhabitants with your own entire language if you want um, yeah must be lots of fun Oh, it is. And it's the same with sci-fi. And I do think it did come from um, reading Doctor Who. I I read a lot of science, uh, you know, Dune. I mean, it's now, that's a really wonderful book. And then it comes out, um, of course, it, it's been made before, but it's it's come out now. And it and it's feels like, I haven't seen it yet, but it feels like so much more truer to the book. Um, so, I, you know, I've read so many different sci-fis in, in, the, in the years gone by, and I'm just so interested in, in that world and what it looks like. Yeah, because what about movies and TV shows? Like, do you have any favourite sort of sci-fi movies or TV shows that you love? Oh my gosh, I loved Stargate. When when that originally first came out, I was just so wrapped up in it. Um, I loved that idea. Um, I, of course, Star Wars, you know, I was a big Star Wars fan. I, I was a big Trekkie fan, but not as big as Star Wars. Star Wars was my kind of thing. I really yeah, people are either Star Wars or Star Trek, aren't they? What I understand. Like I'm not a big sci-fi fan myself, but people usually it's one or the other, isn't it? Am I am I right? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah. You're either a Trekkie or you're a Star Wars fan. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Yep. Yeah, it is what it is. Um I love Star Trek, don't get me wrong. I think it was fantastic for its time and um, amazing. Um, but I was always, uh, I don't know, I just liked um, Star Wars. I, I liked the way they built their worlds 
Um, and I just really enjoyed the protagonist antagonist relationship. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah. Because I have to ask you, now hopefully this is not an unpopular opinion. I actually love Stargate. As I said, it's one of the sci-fi shows I actually enjoyed. And I think the series was so much better than the movie. What do you think? I think the series was wonderful. 100%. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, love the series. Really love the series. It was something that you you just waited for every single week. You couldn't wait to watch it. So, um, you know, it was, yeah, one of the best, one of the best. And look, you know, and MacGyver, you know, Richard Dean Anderson, you can't really go wrong, can you? Can't beat that. Can't beat that. Um, Another really good um, Blade Runner was one of my favourites. That had to be one of my biggest um, favourites as far as movies went. So that was another really good one that I really enjoyed as a kid. I I watched so much sci-fi as a kid. Um, So I feel like that's been part of why I enjoy it so much. Yeah. Yeah. Look, you you just, yeah, you're a fascinating woman. You just do so so much. I'm in awe of you. And I have to ask you, um, like you're obviously writing a play or um, a script, you know, for a, for a film is very different to the process of writing a book. So, you know, obviously they're very dialogue heavy, aren't they, when you're writing a script or you're writing a, a play. And I'm actually terrified of writing dialogue. So I'm getting better at it. So I always sort of, you know, was telling my reader and not showing my reader. So I'm slowly sort of challenging myself as an author and and using a lot more dialogue. And it still terrifies me. So, you know, writing a play or a film where it's dialogue heavy, how do you actually approach that? It's such a different process to writing a book. Yeah, it's completely different. Um, It's one of the things where if you write a screenplay, you will start to become very, very good at um, showing in the most least amount of words. So that's the art of it. You have to bring every, everything has to be so succinct down when you've got um, your, say you're doing your action, mm-hmm. got to be so succinct, it can't be more than four lines. So that's it. Oh, okay. So you have to capture that that whole short scene in in a few words four lines wow yeah Yeah. if it goes longer than that it has to have a reason for why it's longer um it needs to be in in really in just four lines um then the dialogue um has to be um really really good it's got to be great dialogue so it's practice um it's getting it wrong it's getting it right it's um putting it in for feedback it's not being afraid to um you know enter a uh, a film uh festival mm-hmm. and ask and and i always get the feedback i pay a little bit more for the feedback um and okay the reason i do that is because some of the feedback is so helpful um and I find that that's probably one of the things that's helped me the most in um submissions is getting that feedback and and look there's so much more to it it's you have to you know 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 how to write a log line you've got to have a a long log line you've got to have a tag line you've got to have a short description you've got to have a long description you you also have to have um you know a whole lot more that has to go into it if you're actually going to submit um 
you know, say you want to do, um, uh, enter a opportunity for um, a grant or an opportunity for, um, say you're going to go through the Queensland um, site and you want to actually work with a producer um, and they've got a program in, involved in it, you have to have so much work. So you have to know your script back the front um, and you've got to be able to explain that really, really well. Um, and you, you were, you, your whole script has to be spot on. So it's quite an art. It's very different from writing um, a novel where you get to expand so much and add mm. everything in and um, have, you know, internal dialogue and external dialogue. You, you don't get a lot of that in, in scripts. Yeah, and I guess you rely very heavily on the actor's performance, yeah. don't you, that getting your vision across. And I suppose when you see the performance, have you ever sort of thought, oh, you know, I need to change that dialogue. It didn't really work the way I wanted it to. Yeah. So when we yeah. did play, that was something that we found, um, oh, that was why it was such a powerful um, experience because when you would go to the reading table, um, and you they, you would do a read through. There'd be a couple of things where oh, that doesn't it just doesn't sound right. It's not it's not working. Um, and some of the actors would say, "Oh well, what if I said this?" And I went, "Yes, that's perfect." And so when you do a read through, then it's up to the writer then to go back that night and um, add in the things that need to be added in. And then you'll have another reading in you know a couple of days, and they'll read through the new draft of the script, and you know you see how it feels and what it's what it's like then. Um, so yeah, that's the opportunity that you you get when you actually get to work with actors, and that's. It's such a powerful experience. And, and you're right, in, in screenwriting or playwriting, you, it's all up to the actor. You know, you can have it all down on paper, but it's the actor that brings the characters to life. That's right. It's the actor that has to deliver your vision, you know. So that's it's a big responsibility on their shoulders, isn't it? It's huge. Yeah. And, look, sometimes <clears throat> sometimes it's not, um, it's not always where you want it to be but it's the right way if that makes sense yeah absolutely yeah it makes total sense <coughs> sorry um that's all right but it's yeah what about like like talking about inspiration again like <laughs> if you don't mind talking about it do you, do you need to go and get a glass of water are you okay i am a nurse i can check on you if you like <laughs> you okay yeah i might have to get a drink of water yeah that's fine <laughs> okay so we are back we just had to pre press pause for a little minute there while Vason went and got a glass of water and she's okay so on we, we carry on <laughs> so what I was going to ask you um, about inspiration like do you draw much inspiration from your own struggles from your childhood if you don't mind talking about that um yeah sometimes um <clears throat> i I don't, I don't reflect on that too much. Um, I feel like um, I'm very much a, a survivor of um, an assault and um, I feel like I've moved through that space and had lots of therapy as a young person, um, moved through that. 
Um, but I certainly have that lived experience, which I think um, it, it's quite helpful um, with knowing how people might react. Um, I haven't actually explored that in any of my work, though. Yeah, because I guess sometimes if you are writing about a specific trauma, it could be a trigger for someone to, you know, who's reading the book if they've been through something similar. Mm, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty mindful of that um, because obviously I work in the, in the field um, with young people as a caseworker, so I'm quite mindful of, of that sort of thing. If I was to write a book in and around that kind of situation, <clears throat> um, it would, it would, I would probably have to do it very delicately. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, because I would be always mindful in my, and look, I want to say that triggers aren't to be avoided, um, but because we need to work through those things. They're things that, you know, we need to work through, but you have to be working through them at your pace. And if you put that into a book, it, it's not, you can't know what the pace is of somebody else. So I'd have to do that quite delicately. Um, one of the things I probably would do if I did, I would get um, some readers who have been in that space and I would get them to reflect on it for me to see how yeah, that... you would you would get them to be to read for you before yeah. you moved any yeah, move forward with the story. Definitely. Yeah. Cause I think I feel like um that would be a bit of a journey for me too yeah and it's I think sometimes it can be good therapy too can't it yeah absolutely 100 percent um you know I talked a lot about the young people that I work with um, about journaling um some of the most powerful stories have risen from journaling so oh definitely absolutely yeah, I, I can I can definitely agree with that because I in, my writing is great therapy for me with mm. some things I've been through, you know, with the death of, death of a, my father a few years ago. And um, I've talked about this in previous episodes and my breakup of my marriage and, you know, meeting my current partner and becoming a stepmom with no kids of my own. So lots of my stories have been um, inspired by that. But writing about it was great therapy to work through all the emotions. So it was really helpful. Yeah, definitely, 100%. Um, and I feel like we have so much in common because it, it was very similar for me when I had my breakup with my um, my partner and I had a very long, um, you know, long life together with him. Um, so it was it was quite, quite difficult. It was really difficult to move through that. Um, but I journaled a lot, which was mm. really helpful for me. So I did a lot of journaling. Um, who knows, one day I might go back to those journals and and write something that arises from you know that experience who knows what we can what we might write in the future but um it's just it's just lived experience is so powerful um I say that to everyone because we all have stories we've moved through it's just such a it's such a powerful journey that we as human beings move through sorry that's my cheeky dog barking in the background sorry about that right (laughs) he's a bugger he barks at least once every episode. If he doesn't, I'm very lucky. Oh, <laughs> I do apologise. <laughs> so talk, talking about future projects, because you were talking about, you know, who knows what's going to happen in the future. Ooh. What is it that you're working on at the moment? What project are you concentrating on at the moment? Um, at the writing? moment, yeah, with my writing, I've just, um, I'm just finishing my fifth um, and final series of um, the Star Child series for the middle grade readers. Mm-hmm. Um, I am 
finalizing a ghost story that I've been writing for several years and it's set in Australia um, and it's in the 1980s so I, I'm really invested in that one um, and getting that one finished and I'm also writing one that's really dear to my heart and it's set um, up in Bowen and it's when um, it's set in um, the 1960s um, with um, in the tomato fields so because Bowen obviously has always grown tomatoes um, but it is about a young girl who um, meets a uh, a bit of a drifter and he's got quite a, uh, a quite a secret that he brings to the farm and it revolves around um, yeah the, her mother has had a stroke and dad's trying to run the farm and this um, drifter comes in and becomes one of the pickers for the for the year and it, it, it really is quite a interesting and um, powerful story so once again, it is about, um, it has um, a feel to it that is the underdog kind of feel to it um, and um, how people are, are targeted with mental health. So, Yeah, and whereabouts in the process with that story are you up to, like first draft or like where are you up to with that project? That one's... That one's um, that one's pretty much in a novella at the moment. So it's a beginning, middle and end. <clears throat> so at the moment, it's a novella size, but it has a lot more work um, as far as research goes. Um, I was lucky enough to have the Bowen Historical Society help me out with some of the research for that, but it's still got a lot of research that I want to do to make it um, feel real for that time in in the setting so I'm not great at moving through any kind of historical research so this is new to me I've not done this kind of heavy research before um, but I do want to get it right for Bowen and the people of Bowen um, and yeah it's just a really interesting um, yeah family family story with a real kind of bit of a slide to it that's quite different so yeah you should I don't know if you have listened to any episodes from season one but there was an interview with Mary Lou Stevens who wrote Last of the Apple Blossom oh yes yes and if you haven't um, heard that go back and listen to her episode because she talks a lot about the research she did uh, with families down in the Huon Valley in Tasmania about the apple industry in the 1960s and the amount of research that she did and the way she approached it was fascinating. So maybe, like, if you listen to yeah. um, some of the stuff that she said, I think you'd find it very helpful. Yeah, that's great because, you know, it is, I, it's the first time I've ever done this kind of heavy research. As you know, when you write fantasy, you can research, but you get to build your own world. So you aren't, you don't have the constraints of, um, you know, historical stuff you can bring to to the planet or the world similarities and you get to manipulate those but when it comes to historical stuff it's it really has to be accurate it's got to be some it's some form of spot on um, because there'll be people that will read it that go no that didn't happen so exactly <laughs> you want it to be right yeah Exactly. And even in the back of the book, in her acknowledgement, she goes, she talks about in depth 
the whole research project, um, you know, the process and how people helped her and how she interviewed the people that lived through the experience and, and the time that they gave her. And, you know, she actually grew up in Hobart, you know, she grew up in Tasmania and it's just fascinating. So I highly recommend you read the book and definitely listen to her interview because I think you'll find it really helpful. And she's lovely. I mean, even if you reached out to her on social media, yeah. I'm sure she'd, you know, yeah, she's wonderful. I'm sure she'd give you a hand with that process. That'd be awesome. Yeah, I will do that. Yeah, she's she's a lovely lady and I'm sure she'd help you. Um, now, I just wanted to talk to you about, you know, your social media and, and you've got a website. So I was having a look at your website and you've got a, a blog on there, which is full of all sorts of interesting um, content. So what drives you to continue with the blog? Because I run a blog on my website and it's a lot of work. So, yeah. you know, sort of what drives you to continue with the blog and, and deciding what content you want to want to publish on there? I feel like I, I don't give it the attention that it should, um, but I, I try and mix it up a bit. Um, sometimes I talk about life and um, sometimes I talk about writing. Um, I think my last one was a short story, um, a little bit about writing a short story. Um, other times I've spoken about, um, you know, life in general and, and what works. Health, sometimes I will blog about, um, you know, well-being and, and making sure we take care of ourselves. A lot of writers um, are really... Um, they really try hard um, to get writing done, um, but we must always remember that our self-care is really important. And when you're a writer, sometimes you're alone a lot, you know. Um, or, it's a really lonely endeavour sometimes, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Or you're working a full-time job and trying to write at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that means you, you know, you can fray at the edges a little bit. Um, yeah, I've been burning the candle at both ends for a while now, so I, I understand exactly what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, and same, you know, um, same for me as well. You know, you burn those candles at, at both ends, and eventually, you know, you have no wick left; it's gone because it's all burnt out. So, um, yeah, sometimes I blog about that, just trying to um, have writers be mindful about their self care and. Um, how they can do that, what's, what good, good tools they can use to um, and stay well and stay healthy. Um, yeah. And you had to, look, I read some of your, your stuff on there and it was, it, was, it was great, you know, so really good content and there's a good variety of content on there. So I think it's wonderful, your blog. Oh, thank you. I, I do do, I do like to do um, movie reviews as well. I'll do that. I do those quite a bit as well. Yeah, that, that was what was great about it. There was so much uh, variety with the content. You know, there's a, there's something for everyone, really, which okay. was wonderful. So that sort of moves on to something I always ask everyone on the podcast is what's the one piece of advice you would give a brand new author? Someone just thinking, oh, I'm going to get into this writing gig. You know, what advice would you give them? Um, I would say connect with your local community of writers. I'd say that would be your first port of call. Um, because they'll obviously your writer community will have lots of people who are at different stages of their writing journey and they'll all be able to offer um, some kind of wisdom they'll also be able to link you up with um, what's going on in the world around your community as well which I think is really important I'm a huge believer in community I think and and once again that boils down to my job that I do in um, my day job I'm very community driven Mm -hmm. Um, 
but I would say link up with your local writers association. Um, the second thing I would say is um, try and write um, because the hardest part in our in our profession as authors is getting words on paper. Um, um, and I, I would say write um, and do your, as you move through that, that space, I would also say um, try and find if you're not, um, not, if you don't understand the writing process, try and research as much as you can on um, how you write, um, whether that's a beginning, a middle or an end, um, research those kinds of things. Um, if you aren't good at the research yourself, then your local writers association will have an understanding of courses you can do. And they might be just short, short writing courses and they might get you on your way. Yeah, that, that's fantastic advice. And where can people find you online? Where are you on social media? Where can people find you? Oh my gosh, on Twitter, Instagram. Where do you start, huh? <laughs> Yeah, well, one I think one of the things I said about blog on my blog once was writers today um, we're expected to do so much more than just write a book. Um, we have to have a social media platform. Um, you don't have to. I don't want to say that you have to because you don't have to. I guess. Um, but it's important because people will search for you, look for you, um, follow you, um, ask you questions. Um, so I think it's today when young people, they are very much um, social media driven. Um, and I think it's really important that you have that presence. Um, publishers will want you to have that presence as well. Yeah. Um, so I think I, I really like Twitter. So I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. Um, I, I have a YouTube channel, which is not overly, overly, I don't work on that a lot. I, I should work on it more and I may in the future when I get a bit more time. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm also on um, uh, Facebook as mm -hmm. well an author platform um I think you know that that's about the limit to me to try and keep those running I'm not I, I have a page on TikTok but I don't actually do TikTok oh my god look I have to say Vason, I've just downloaded yeah. TikTok and I'm trying to work it out and I feel ancient I'm only 45 and I think oh my god like yeah, yeah so I'm on Instagram Facebook and Twitter and like you I Twitter's my favorite um platform as an author yeah, but I'm trying to work out TikTok, and I literally downloaded it two days ago. So I'm trying to work it out as we speak. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, well, I'm, I'm God help it. me. I haven't posted anything yet because I just haven't had had that will to actually work out how. Well, I, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just sort of going, oh, I'll give this a go. You know, see how this turns out. Yeah. Oh no. God. It's very popular. A lot of my kids, the young people that I work with, they're constantly on TikTok. Yeah, my, my oldest stepson is 14 and he lives on TikTok. So maybe I should get him to give me a tutorial when he comes back from his mum's house. Yeah, yeah. And look, they're so good at it. They are so good at it. It, it just, that's why I'm often in awe of young people when, when I'm with them, when I'm out with them, then they're trying to teach me things. And I think, you're, you're so awesome. I can't, I can't even comprehend what you're saying to me, but I get it. It's great. Yep. <laughs> Look, and the generations, we can all learn something from each other, can't we? Which is wonderful. Totally. And I'm a little bit older too. It's like I'm 56. Yep. So I, I feel like 
but I still love it. I still really love working with them and, and like I really love, you know, learning new things. So um, today I was just told about um, um, how to trade with, with um, cryptocurrency. So the next three or four hours I'll be trying to work out how to do the cryptocurrency. So, so like me, you're already burning the candle at both ends, but you'll just throw something else in and see if we can fit that in as well. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you and I have a lot in common. Oh, yeah. And I love, I just love life. I really do. I really love it. And I love, I love our human interaction. I love community. Um, I'm really passionate about young people because they are our future. Definitely. Um, It's, yeah. And that's why I say I, I really tick all the boxes because I feel like I've had the most amazing life and I might not have achieved, you know, great great things but I feel like I've achieved so much and enjoyed every single moment of it yeah and And I'm sure you've had a profound impact on so many young people that you work with which is wonderful I think you know like you've helped a lot of people and that's that's to be commended yeah I, I do I do love my job I really do and and I I guess I, I mean I also work in a second job that I work every second weekend and I work it's drugs and alcohol and it's another field that I'm really really passionate in as well um, and look I work through the night um, with amazing team of people um, and it's it, you know and I meet the most amazing people Um, And that's what I love about it. I just meet so many amazing people. Um, One of the reasons I got into um, social welfare, social work, um, was because I met um, years ago, I was studying at QUT and I was doing international business. And um, I um, had, I I really didn't like it. It wasn't for me. And I'd finished the day and I thought, I think I'm going to pack this in. And I met... um, uh, I'd, I'd walked to a bus stop and there was a homeless man at the end of the bus chair, um, bus seat, and no one would sit next to him. Um, everyone was standing around and it was busy and everyone usually would have been sitting in the chair, but because he was homeless, no one sat next to him. So mm. I sat next to him and I thought, well, I'll sit right next to him. So if other people wanted to sit down, they might feel more comfortable. And I sat next to him and we had a chat and um, and he he said to me, oh, you're a student. And I went, yeah, but I think I'm going to pack it in. It's not for me. And he said, well, don't, don't ever do anything that you don't love. Love it first. And he said, I used to be a professor of math and English. Oh, wow. And I went, really? And he said, yes. And I said, would you mind telling me your story? And he said, sure. And He'd had, and I I won't repeat his life because it was quite tragic, the things that had had happened to him. And it led him on a path of alcoholism. And and through that tragedy, as he moved through alcoholism, he lost his home, he lost his wife, he lost his family, and he became homeless. And, um, And he said, you know, I lost my job. I lost everything in my life. And, um, and I said, you know what, you are amazing that you share this with me, because I feel like that's where I need to sit. That's where I would like to be in, in that supportive role. Mm. Um, And he said, um, you know, I think you'd be great at it. And he said to me, but I don't want to leave the story 
you know, in a bad space. I want you to be comfortable. So I've just, I wanted to let you know that I've actually just got into um, a, a, into a housing hostel. And I went, great, that's really awesome. And he said, um, he did say to me, Could, would I be able to borrow $4 for the bus? And I went, sure, not a problem. Um, and I raked out all the change that I had. And, <clears throat> and I said, look, here, take a bit more. And he said, no, 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 you've given me more in conversation. I only want $4. And that was, that man, as homeless as he was at that, that it had been in the last two years prior, and he just got into a hostel, he made such an impact on my life that I actually went out and started a course. And that was my, my start of going into the work that I do today. God, so, what a wonderful story. And as you said, just sitting down and giving someone the time and treating someone, we're all human beings and hearing his story, that's just, and what a brave thing to him to do to open up to you like that. Yeah, to share his story was you know, it would, that, that's hard to share a story like that. And um, to, often I'll say, though, it, it is easier to, sh to share a story with a stranger than it is with your own family sometimes because yeah, um, definitely. They, they listen to you unconditionally. There's no attachment or in, in emotion involved. And it, it, it feels easier sometimes to talk to a complete stranger. And um, I was just very grateful because he changed the trajectory of my life. So, yeah. Mm. And do you often still think about him and wonder where he is? I do. And I, I, I kind of think the one, the sad part was I never got his name. And that's one of the things that I regretted more than anything. So when I talk to, even when I'm in a court process or, or something like that, I, I always make sure I ask their name now so that I know that I've, I've made that, that effort to know who they are and what their name is. Um, I felt like that was one of the things that I missed in that in that session that I had with him. That yeah, time. and I'm sure you had a profound impact on his life as well. I have oh. no doubt. Oh. Well, he had a big impact on my life. So, wow! Look, you you have just been fascinating to talk to. You are doing so much. Um, is there anything else you'd like to talk about or tell our listeners before we start to wrap things up? Because I could talk to you all night. It's fa it's fascinating. Oh, no, 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 that's about it. Um, I've just been really, really grateful that you were able to talk tonight. I think it's been amazing and it's, um, yeah, it's been a real honour. Oh, you're welcome. And I said it's been a long time coming because I think we we booked in a date and then me being a nurse and in the middle of Sydney's lockdown and I had to, I think I had to cancel on you and then I think there was another date that didn't suit you. And this sort of has gone on for a couple of months, hasn't it? So we finally got there, yeah, which is did. wonderful. We did. We did. <laughs> I'm so pleased that we have. I feel like we've got so much in common. Yeah. Look, and we can continue to talk on, on Twitter because this yeah. is where we, we discovered each other. So... Yeah. Most of my guests from the podcast I've got to know via Twitter. So, um, again, that's why I love the platform. I think it's a great networking platform. It's it's great as an author. I've made so many friends. Um, it's just wonderful. Like I, I, I could just tweet about Twitter all day long and how wonderful it is. So, And the writing community on Twitter is such a supportive space. Would you agree? Oh, 100%. It's probably one of the most um, supportive environments that you could be in. I absolutely love Twitter and I love everyone that I've met on Twitter has been an absolute 
absolute friend. Um, yes. So I've enjoyed it very much. Yeah. Look, I, it has just been wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much for joining me and good luck with all your future projects. Um, and I'm sure you'll continue to draw inspiration from your work like me um, and give the world some wonderful stories. So yeah, keep up the good work. Mm, thanks, Hayley. I hope to. I really do. All right. Beautiful. Thank you so much for joining me. So thanks for listening, guys. And remember, when we write, we can't go wrong. And until next time, Bye for now.